He's working for the president, he's working for our country. Alien life, uh, like pedophiles, uh, you know, and it just seeks to tie all of that together. Welcome, listeners, to the 34th episode of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, Conspiracy Mongers in Government. As always, we are your hosts, Julian Field and Travis View. Our theme this week is the way American politics and discourse have become increasingly interwoven with conspiracy theories. Our guest is Anna Merlin, who has written a book on the topic entitled Republic of Lies. In their review of it, Kirkus Books called it an engrossing assessment of the profitable mainstreaming of conspiracy mongering in civic and political life, a lucid, well-researched look at a slippery topic. But before we dig into that, QAnon News. Jake Rokotansky, co-host of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, goes missing. After sending a single cryptic text message to Julian, Abrilson did it. The co-host of famed conspiracy podcast QAnon Anonymous has gone missing. His friends and loved ones ask that if you spot Jake in the wild, do not approach him as he may be in a state of feral red pilling and is likely to grow aggressive if questioned about Seth Rich. We do not currently know why Jake disappeared, what happened to him, or what we're supposed to do about it. Listen, Jake, if you're listening, we, 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 we miss you, buddy. QAnon attacks Sebastian Gorka and the MAGA coalition. So there's a bit of a MAGA brawl going on with uh, QAnon and certain big uh, QAnon leaders on one side and a small political action committee called the MAGA coalition on the other. Uh, Q posted a series of links about the MAGA coalition, which Gorka had previously worked for. Uh, then Q linked to the FBI tip line with the implication that Gorka had committed some sort of crime. Patriot Soapbox, the 24-hour QAnon live stream on YouTube, posted Gorka's address and his wife's name. Uh, QAnon followers on Twitter started posting pictures of Gorka's house. Uh, oh my God. Wait, why is it 24 hours a day? How, how do they... They have they have people from all over the world. There's a Scottish man who helps who helps. Uh, oh, it's like a bunch, bunch of different people, a like bunch of different people, off. and they they do it in shifts. So it's a twenty. Dear it's like it's like a, it's like a news network. Okay. They talk about QAnon all day long. Uh-huh. So uh, praying medic, uh, yeah, QAnon grifter. We've talked a lot about. Well, on the show, Your Voice America, hosted by Bill Mitchell, to threaten Gorka and MAGA coalition more directly. Uh, he said, uh, you may want to be careful with what you say and what you do. Q, Q put somebody on the radar yesterday, and you probably don't want 10,000 anons from 8chan digging through your personal life. So here, here's a clip of Praying Medic uh, speaking to Bill Mitchell on Your Voice America. And listen, listen carefully to what he, what he says here, because he's hinting at the MAGA coalition without mentioning them by name. Uh, first, I would let you know that if you have been attacking Q... Yeah, and Q's um, supporters and people who who do Q decodes. Yeah, you may want to be careful with what you say and what you do because Q put somebody on the radar yesterday. Yeah, and somebody, you, know, somebody you probably unnamed. don't want ten thousand <laughs> anons from Eight Chan digging through yeah. your personal life. Right, and I'm, and this is not a threat in any way, shape, or form. I'm just letting you know. I was shocked yesterday. When Q went after and kind of exposed um, a mutual uh, group of people who That's the don't coalition. like us very much, we're you not fans of. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, but we don't mention actually, them because we don't want to give them the airplay. But yeah, I, yeah, I actually had a dream about that before it happened on Friday <laughs> night. I had this dream, and 
They posted about it on Twitter and people flipped out. They were like, what is praying medic's account has been comped? That's not him. He doesn't write like that. Well, people I didn't want realize. to listen to my dreams. I was I'm, talking I'm about important. a dream where I saw Brendan Dilley and Q going after uh, our mutual enemies. And now that Trump has been vindicated, it's a great there is going to be a change of posture. You can see Trump's change of posture. Trump Much is not aggressive. apologetic anymore, and he never really was a lot apologetic, but he is now got his enemies in his crosshairs. I fucking hate Praying Medic. Oh, Praying Medic in is In this just, one, he's a particularly he's a easy, piece of shitty... Un-fucking un believable. The worst most uh, uh, despicable grifter I've ever heard of in my fucking life. Bill Mitchell looks like someone literally photoshopped a facelift onto him. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's awful. Prank medic is like threatening people like a mob boss. Be like, oh, yeah. it would be a pity if, uh, you know, if all these Anons and 8chan started, you know, digging through your life and basically spread. It would be a pity if you were the subject of the QAnon conspiracy yeah. theory, basically. It's a threat. He also looks like Kingpin. He does. Like, so, you know, this bald little egg-headed motherfucker so he has so much hatred in his heart. That's the thing. He fucking fakes all this love and compassion. He has nothing. Yeah. He, He's a fucking burning void. He is a sociopath. And so so if praying medic makes this sort of like, you know, this mob boss style threat and the next day Q linked to a public MAGA coalition documents and ask, follow the money, track donations versus expenses, admin, fundraising, strategy, and research, et cetera, et cetera. Expenses highly inflated, monthly installment payments made to names who can attract more donations. What? It's like, it's very strange, but it's basically... Like it's, you just described every bureaucracy? I know. It's just, the the implication is like, there's something shady there. And it's like, yeah. it's like whether it's like whether or not there is, the idea is that, okay, the Anons... Oh, Q, the Anons are going to say, oh, Q's hinting that there's something shady about this organization, so I'm going to come up with some confused reason why that's true. Yeah. So the, the, the MAGA coalition also caused some consternation for Coleman Rogers, a.k.a. Pamphlet Anon, uh, who, who, by the way, many suspect that Rogers is one of the people who are currently uh, who write Q drops. And uh, here's what uh, Rogers said during a recent uh, Patriot Soapbox stream. These anti-Q shills out there that Q is talking about, for example, in, in the past few posts, they are not organic. They are not of this movement. I, I mean, the Trump movement. They are not of one of us, right? They are fake. They are contrived. And so is the crap they're trying to push. So is the attitude that they are trying to push. This whole Q is a LARP thing is contrived. It is not organic. That is what should be taken away from this. In my opinion, this displays perfectly for anybody willing to look that this movement is real and people are behind it. It's here to stay and it's not getting any smaller, to say the least. It's barely hit its stride. I'm willing to bet. Barely, barely hit its stride. This so is losing his, nothing yet. Looting, this is, losing this is nothing. his attention. Right. He's losing his train of thought. They, they are absolutely terrified right now for Exactly. Oh, this is enough to tear the fight. Yeah, if somebody had done this at more of the more of the rallies, I'd ter terrify the, the heck out of them. Yep, they're they're terrified of exactly this right here, and that is exactly why you are seeing um, these schmucks like MAGA coalition and the rest of these losers being activated to try to discredit and slander Q and all of us. That's why. They are being uh, sent out there right now, doing what they're doing right now. This, 
right here. Sure. And they're failing, what? and they're going to continue to fail. So unhinged. It's, it's already too late. They they should have they should have sent out their sleeper cells, you know, six months ago to what? try to get a handle on this. They failed because they were too too slow, way too slow. So ah, these oh, wow. I know. I got dumber from listening to that. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 that was a two minute clip, and yeah, that that there's twenty four hours a day of that. It's not it's not fun. It, it says too late, suckers, in some sort of like uh, constitutional font. Yeah, right. So I mean, this development is like I think very interesting because Q doesn't attack all critics. You know, Q has never like mentioned me by name, for example, or the or the yeah, podcast. Why, why doesn't he? Travis? I know, right? <laughs> uh, but for some reason, they feel th- threatened enough by the, this MAGA coalition and Gorka to mention them by to like mention them specifically. And like, what did they do wrong other than just well, say Q is not nothing? Well, there is like, well, there might be. Yes, exactly. It was that they are like pro pro MAGA people who are just viciously attacking Q. And also there might be some. Does that not describe James Brower? That's well, that's true, too. But there are also uh, in addition to that, there might be some personal connections between MAGA coalition, your voice, America and QAnon. And that connection is Ann Vandersteel, who we've talked about before. Oh, shit. So Ann Vandersteel is a QAnon promoter who has appeared on both your voice, America and Patriot Soapbox. And she happens to be married to one John Kruger. And John Kruger is the co-founder of MAGA coalition. Oh, shit. Uh, and also, in addition to that, uh, Adam Greenrich. Well, wait uh, a second. That's the enemy, though. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're following. You're following. Again, Adam Greenrich, who's currently the president of MAGA Coalition, also posted photos of himself uh, with John Kruger and also photos of himself with Praying Medic. So it sounds like as it's hard as I don't know exactly what's going on underneath the surface here, but it sounds like that that uh, Bill Mitchell, Praying Medic, and Q are all going after Gorka and MAGA Coalition because of some bad blood caused by some former business partnerships that may have turned sour. Ooh. I also have reason to believe, as a consequence of the former partnerships, that people affiliated with MAGA Coalition have some inside information about Ann Vandersteel, Praying Medic, and Bill Mitchell. So uh, MAGA Coalition may be a unique threat to the Q grift for oh. that reason as well. Yeah, they're the friends that... The friends you kept close, but exactly, out they were exactly. All along. They're they're very exactly. They're not they're not attacking us because like we're not we're not close to them. They're there's your people who maybe know the Q Grift very intimately and the players, and so that's why they're attacking them directly because they have they have uh, the, the greater possibility of exposing it. You think they're doing a preemptive on? People that might try to expose them later. That's it. They're, they're, yeah, exactly. It's like, oh God, these people have some dirt on us. They know what's going on. So we need to slander them and, and paint them as enemies and discredit them right away. Yeah. So if they come out with any information, then the the people were basically the sheep in our flock will just discredit them as all uh, disinformation, basically. You'd love to see it. You love to see it. They like the, the the I mean the people who run the Q Grift. They're evil, but they they know threats properly. They know uh, they know. They, they 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 know what they're doing, which is, which is awful. Yeah, but uh, this is this is the new soap opera. It's new soap opera, so I'm gonna keep up with that. See where that goes. So, QAnon shows up and force at the Grand Rapids, Michigan Trump rally. Uh, like we've talked on the podcast before, a real watershed event for the QAnon community was the Trump 
uh, Tampa uh, rally in uh, on July 31st, 2018. And this was when QAnon was really brought into the mainstream awareness. There were just so many QAnon people with Q shirts and signs at that event. But after that, the Secret Service cracked down on Q apparel, and they were more scarce at uh, rallies after that. However, on Thursday night, President Trump traveled to Grand Rapids, Michigan, for his first 2020 uh, campaign rally since this special counsel, Robert Mueller, wrapped up his investigation. And there was a noticeably big Q presence there. There were lots of people at the rally who were posting selfies of themselves in Q shirts. Someone held up a We Heart Q sign. And uh, Trump tweeted out an image uh, of the rally that included someone uh, sort of like far in the background uh, holding up a large Q sign. So the QAnon community felt uh, very invigorated by this, like they were invigorated by the Tampa rally. So for one reason or another, it might be possible that security just gave up on the Q t-shirt ban. So so you're telling me all these fucking Russiagate grifters basically have now reinforced the QAnon movement. Yes, the, the Russiagate grifter is the one who were like, oh, oh it's happening. He's going to yeah. jail, 100%. A lot of these QAnon people thought that that was sort of the mainstream media narrative. Yeah, and, so, and it as, kind of fucking was. The mainstream went off its rocker covering this shit. They gave it way more time than it was worth, and they didn't give any of the other shit depth or time. Well, yeah, so... In a way, they stoked the QAnon movement. That this is this is this is certainly possible. <laughs> I'm not going to say that definitively. <laughs> but the QAnon should be the QAnon should be thanking the MSM is what I'm saying. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but I mean, this is I mean, this is the basic um, the basic narrative that's like that is that because the conclusion of first of all, a lot of people thought that the and QAnon thought that the Mueller investigation would lead to like arrests of like Hillary and Comey and stuff, and he was like secretly as this will lead to the downfall. Of uh, basically all of uh, uh, people associated with Obama, that course never happened. The fact that this doesn't happen didn't happen does not phase them one bit. But for some for some reason, the MSM is more discredited than QAnon's baseless claims. It's 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 nuts. They really do feel invigorated by the end of the, the investigation and that rally. And uh, it might be possible that they're that they're still getting grow after this. I I, I hope. I hope the uh, in terms of their battle against QAnon, I wish the MAGA coalition the best. I hope they expose the grifters. I hope I hope they they do whatever they can. If this, I'd um, like to personally uh, side with the other side. And, yeah, you uh, want to say side with side with QAnon. Yeah, I want them to destroy the MAGA coalition. All right. So if we could both get what we wanted, that'd be amazing. All right. Finally, for QAnon news, if you happen to be a reader of Washington Post Sunday Outlook. Uh, you may have seen my op-ed headlined, The Mueller Report is in, Get Ready for Conspiracy Theories. In that op-ed, I warn about the possible growth of liberal conspiracy theorizing as a consequence of the uh, Mueller investigation, concluding without the fireworks that many were hoping for. One consequence of my publishing that article is that I was I, that I severely triggered friend of the show, Seth Abramson. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in the uh, premium episode this week. Do you think, I mean... Jake's off the grid. That's true. He's missing. We'd like to see him again. Someday. And he pissed off Seth like right before. That's true. I'm not saying that's there's true. a connection. I don't want to be a conspiracy right. but pusher, it, you know. But that's true. He's like, yeah, after yeah, after seems uh, a coincidence. Jake coincidence. just laid into him yeah. on Twitter before. But Seth Abramson, by the way, responded to my article and deleted his entire thread. Yeah. So before I had a chance to respond to it, I like I read it once, but I was I was planning on responding to it. But Seth Abramson 
you just uh, deleted this whole thread to me Damn. for some reason. Panic in DC. Panic you know in saying? DC. Like, yeah. This guy doesn't know what's happening anymore. It's like all these fucking fuck, these grifters. Their strategy is all the same. Whenever someone criticizes them, it's like you always they always defame the critics rather than responding to yeah. the criticism. But, yeah, uh, except for Louise Munch. She's yes. good. Yes, yes, Love yes. a good muncher. That's why I am, in fact, a Kremlin agent right now. Yeah. You look like a Yeah, Kremlin right. I look like I was raised. Got a little bit of a Russian look today. Yeah, a little uh, St. Petersburg vibe going. You came in, you had one, even though it's warm as hell and we're on the West Coast, you came in with like a furry hat. And That's you, true. You did that low to the low to the ground dance. And you, <laughs> you brought a pet bear with you. We do not know why I, Travis does back, these things. Looking back, that was suspicious behavior. The bear was maybe <laughs> a little bit too much. Yeah, you went, you went over the line. <laughs> you gave Louise Mensch a little too much to work with. <laughs> Anna Merlin is a senior reporter on the Special Projects desk at Gizmodo Media Group, which I'm pretty sure is an X-Files-style operation run out of a smoke-filled basement room. Tight. Anna has written a fantastic book on conspiracy theories entitled Republic of Lies. Welcome to the show, Anna. Thank you guys for having me. Your book is is really great. I mean, I, I'm going to right off the bat recommend it. Uh, it's a great Thanks. read, well-written, engrossing, and well-researched. Thank you. It nearly killed me. I bet. When did you, uh, when did you start writing it? Well, um, the, when I started thinking about writing it after I went on a cruise for conspiracy theorists, um, in early 2016 and wrote a story about it for Jezebel, which is Gizmodo Media's, uh, feminist website. Uh, and it wasn't until after I got back from the cruise that I started thinking that maybe there was a book here but I mean, I've been writing about conspiracy theories of various kinds for a while, and I really dove into the research for the book after Trump got elected. Mm, interesting. Yeah, we have some questions yeah. about that for sure. The, the shift that occurred around then. So mm-hmm. t- tell us about this conspiracy themed cruise. C- can you describe <laughs> like what that experience was like? I mean, how long did it last? So we were on the cruise for... I think a week. It was um, in the very beginning of 2016 in January. And it was organized by this really nice woman, Susan Shumsky, who does like new age cruises of various kinds. This was the first time that she specifically put together a conspiracy themed cruise. And it was a little bit of a disaster. There were uh, three reporters and a photographer there, uh, as I wrote about. And the other reporter, Bronwyn Dickey from Popular Mechanics, wrote about the cruise very quickly devolved into a lot of paranoia about what the reporters were doing there. Um, (laughs) That's amazing. And a lot of. Yeah, I was. I, it was suggested to me that I was a CIA operative, which is very flattering. Um, yeah, and I would say, on the whole, the thing that about the cruise would, was that it was a lot more stressful than I expected, and people were there for reasons that were a lot more dire than I had assumed. A lot of folks were not there to have a fun, kooky time. They were there because they were very deeply in debt, and they wanted to hear from some sort of self-styled financial experts who were on the boat, all of whom actually, all three of them ended up going to prison shortly after the cruise ended for various kinds of fraud. Wait, so, so wait, wait, there was a conspiracy yeah. cruise, but there was also financial advisors? There were financial advisors who uh, traffic in what is called redemption theory, which is fundamentally a conspiracy theory about how the financial system works. And so the advice that they were offering was very much premised on 
what I would call a faulty understanding of how the IRS works and the kinds of things you can and can't get away with. They probably felt like shit getting grifted so hard the entire time. Honestly, a lot of people were very happy with the advice they received. And, you know, I wrote in my article, I wrote about one woman telling me that she was going to go home and try out some advice that made me very anxious because what she had been advised to do was a very bad idea. Um, so there was a lot of that. And so I really came back from the cruise more engaged in the ways that Americans specifically look to conspiracy theories because of fundamentally inequitable systems and a desire to find like a secret door out of them, like the financial system. Yeah, it's, it sounds a lot yeah. like uh, it was it was a, a part conspiracy theory and sort of part sort of prosperity scam, where the conspiracy is that, that there's a conspiracy that's making you uh, so broke, and uh, here's the the secret way to get out of it. So you understand the conspiracy, you can sort of work the system better. Yeah, and I write about this in the book that a lot of people use the logic that like you know the extremely wealthy find these loopholes, they find these secret trapdoors. Why can't I? That's true. So you, you know? on, a, on a personal level, you're on this cruise, like mm-hmm. how, you know, what did you spend your time doing and like, how did your morale maybe shift? <laughs> uh, so one thing that I was really focused on going into it was hearing from Andrew Wakefield, who is the now discredited author of the study that linked um, the MMR vaccine and autism. So I was really interested in talking to Mr. Wakefield and understanding how he had come to be on a on a conspiracy cruise. And so I talked to him. I heard a bunch of his lectures. I heard from some more mild conspiracy theorists who just wanted to talk about things like, you know, Queen Elizabeth being a lizard person, which is, you know, fine with me. Um, There was a real mixture of like new age stuff and like positive thinking sort of esque things, a lot of stuff about, you know, angels and the other world and miraculous healing. And then there was stuff about how the government is trying to give you autism and, you know, trick you out of, um, finding this secret bank account that's rightfully yours. You know, yeah. there's a real, a real two, two-sided nature to the cruise. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. you, t- you talk a little bit in the book, you know, you just mentioned government, but you know, kind of a shift in the culture and a kind of rise of traditionalism on the right after the progressive shift of the sixties. Can you tell yeah. us what happened there? So one thing that I spent a lot of time sort of thinking about was the conservative backlash of the 1970s, which was really like a response to the gains made by the civil rights movement and the LGBT movement and to some extent women in the 1960s, So, which is a common pattern that we see in America, right, where any like gains that marginalized groups make, uh, other folks feel like something is being taken from them and flip out. Um, so in the 1970s, that really began the late sixties and seventies that really began with a phobia about communism and secret communists, you know, taking over the government and leaking into American life. And also, um, the rise of what we now call the new right, who were, uh, obsessed with what they began to call the traditional family. You know, they were, they were very afraid of gay people and they formed part of what they started to call the silent majority who thought that everyone around them was just as disgusted by social progress as they were. Yeah. And together, these people elected President Nixon in 1968, who was just about as staunch an enemy of any kind of social progress as they could have possibly dreamed. Yeah. And, yeah. So, and so with that shift at the same time, the U.S. government, you know, kind of uh, blew up its whole military and intelligence wings 
And there's now 17 active alphabet agencies that cost $70 billion a year to maintain. So, I mean, how has the growth of the military and national security apparatus affected conspiracy theories? So the larger and more secretive the government has gotten, the more intense and more numerous the conspiracy theories are about it. Um, That's a really, really common pattern we see in American life, especially after World War II. I always talk about a book that I'm obsessed with, which is called Real Enemies um, by a professor and historian named Catherine Olmsted. And she really talks about that. She really traces the way that every time the federal government got a little bigger, people's anxieties and suspicions about it got a little bit darker, which is really like a very sort of reasonable and sympathetic reaction up to a point. Mm -hmm. And as it turned out, it was actually pretty well founded in some cases when we look at stuff that the... CIA and the FBI were doing throughout the 60s and 70s, we can look back and say, oh, yeah, we had reason to really distrust this large, mysterious, over-moneyed federal government. I mean, we talk about we, we have the, the, the Mockingbird Media episode where we talk about how the CIA uh, really did have um, inappropriately tight relationships with major media figures yeah. and, may, sure. and may have even... Um, used, uh, planted up foreign propaganda stories, perhaps with the intention of influencing domestic U.S. politics. I mean, you say perhaps, but the the guy who was running it admitted it in in a hearing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that that definitely happened. So that, uh, there are lots of of reasons to think that, you know, the the CIA has, you know, done a lot of shady stuff. I mean, there's there's documented history of them doing some shady stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and harming, you know, uh, and sort of like with the express intent of uh, influencing the U.S. population with propaganda. I mean, yeah, there's it's, it's one of those things where it's like that's not a crazy thing to believe, but people, you know, they 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 take a, a the, the small germ of truth and they they turn it up to eleven where they believe you know a, a crazy things or you know MK Ultra is another classic example. That was a real program that did some yeah. is, that was that's human experimentation by the CIA. That's pretty fucked up. But there's really, uh, according to all available evidence, you know, it was uh, shut down in 73. So, um, yeah, it's one of those yeah. things where, 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 yeah, it's like, yes, there, there are uh, government secrets and government cover-ups and even and government corruption. But, um, and so that obviously breeds a lot of uh, conspiracy theorizing, you know, understandably. Yeah, one thing I talked about a little bit in my book that has been almost completely forgotten is that there was a series of human radiation experiments <laughs> between like the 40s and the 70s, um, you know, where various branches of the government and the military and also uh, Quaker Oats and MIT were doing experiments with radiation. Quaker Oats and MIT were actually secretly dosing uh, wards of the state, children living at a school in Massachusetts. They were they got permission from the school to feed them irradiated oatmeal. Dear um, God. Yeah, to see how quickly nutrients moved through the body. Um, and so nobody found out about this until 1993. It's, it's, the school is called the Fernald School. And it's one of those things where it just, it's almost too unbelievable to be believed, and yet it really did happen. So yeah, there is a, there is a very sort of strong track record of actual conspiracies leading to conspiracy theorizing yeah. on the part of the U.S. public. It's a pretty, like... Yeah. I, I don't know. I always talk about it as like a form of, of trauma and as something that we're probably not going to get over as a country anytime soon. 
Yeah. Well, we're busy creating new trauma, so. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, speaking of trauma, you know, you explore kind of <laughs> in your book the shift in American consciousness that occurred in 2016. Could you elaborate on that? I mean, one thing that I that I talked about a lot was that the election of Trump allowed sort of right-wing conspiracy theorists, along with anti-immigration extremists, anti-Muslim groups, open neo-Nazis and white supremacists, to sort of catch the wave of public attention and like surf into the mainstream. So we we see a lot of um, extremism on the right being fed by who, the folks who are in power right now. And at the same time, we see people on the left engaging in more conspiracy theorizing as a response to being out of power, you know? So we are really are seeing like a whole country in the grip of various kinds of conspiracy thinking. Yeah. It's funny because I see the pattern on, on both sides, at least. I mean, I, I wouldn't mm -hmm. necessarily call some of these kind of liberal Russiagate fantasies, particularly left wing, even though they are mm -hmm. aligned with the Democratic Party's interests. But it's funny because, you know, people who elected Trump, they they need to believe that Trump is doing the stuff that he's not actually doing. They need yeah. to believe he's making progress there. Whereas people who really expected, you know, Hillary to kind of sail in, they have to deal with the fact that she did not win. But instead of dealing with that, they are going to go, no, no, she did win. And right. here's the theory of why that's true. So but both sides, uh, you know, are in need of like, you know, a bomb for their cognitive dissonance. Yeah, I think that's true. It's uh, it's interesting to watch, and I feel like it happened immediately. You know, as soon as Trump was elected, you know, the same people who had been mocking Trump for saying that the elections were going to be rigged against him were suggesting that maybe the elections had been rigged for him. You know, like yeah. it, it whatever happened works. really quickly. If you're yeah. so invested, whatever works, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so one thing uh, that you, you wrote in this book, and this seriously blew my mind. I, I, I think about it several times a day since I read it. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> Donald Trump wins. And then after his victory, he calls a smattering of foreign leaders and Alex Jones. <laughs> so how did you find this out? And what do you, I mean, what did they talk about? So we, we, we think this happened because Alex Jones said that it happened. And Alex Jones doesn't have a reason necessarily to lie about this specific thing because he and Trump had been buddies in the past. We know that Trump went on Infowars in 2015 and said, you know, your reputation is amazing. People love you, you know, engaged in like fawning uh, fandom of Alex Jones. So what Jones says the two talked about uh, after the election was um, basically Trump thanking Jones's audience. Uh, yeah, makes sense. <laughs> that tracks. Yeah. And saying, uh, you know, we know we know what you did for I actually have Jones's quote. And of course, I don't believe that this is a direct quote, but I have to say, I do think that the call happened. He said, this is Jones talking. He said, listen, Alex, I just talked to kings and queens of the world, world leaders, you name it. But he said, it doesn't matter. I wanted to talk to you to thank your audience and I'll be on in the next few weeks to thank them. I said, is this a private call? And he said, no, I want to thank your viewers. Thank your listeners for standing up for this republic. We know what you did early on throughout this campaign, standing up for what's right. Yeah. Um, the other, yeah, the other fun detail, of course, is that um, we know that Alex Jones became buds with Roger Stone uh, when Stone was working as a Trump advisor, and that they, you know, were hanging out at the RNC and working on uh, working on getting Trump elected. So we do know that Jones and Trump had yeah. had a 
this relationship. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And and Stone was on InfoWars all the time. It's funny to yep. me because at this time, InfoWars is kind of still considered the extremist wing of uh, of that part of kind of like pro-Trump and right wing, uh, you know, theorizing. And yeah. QAnon somehow showed that, no, this is not even extreme enough. Yep. We need someone <laughs> even more extreme than Alex Jones, because right now he's just not cutting it. I'm just not feeling the same kick I used to he's the Norway. first time I opened it up. Q people even say, even suggest that uh, Alex Jones is a Mossad agent. They have conspiracies yeah. about why he's compromised. Yeah, yeah. I've he, heard that. He's so boring. <laughs> he's Jewish. <laughs> right. Well, there and there are a couple of like ex-Infowars people now who also want to accuse Jones of being an asset of whatever kind of, uh, whatever kind of sinister plot. I mean, this really is a pretty common theme in conspiracy communities is that they tend to be divided pretty quickly and accuse each other of being assets of being plants. And again, we can actually like not to, not to be like this, but we can trace that back to Cointelpro. You know, we can trace that back to the FBI really engaging in, um, in plots to undermine civil rights groups and domestic groups generally. So just, uh, just to which, build on that Cointelpro yeah. reference, Cointelpro mm-hmm. was, of course, a, a, an FBI operation that was designed to go into left-wing movements um, as well as uh, civil rights movements, as well as mm-hmm. the Black Panther Party that at the time was very political in an attempt to sow division and ultimately destroy and or weaken the movements. So one thing I see in every conspiracy community I've ever written about is that folks tend to believe that anybody in the community who disagrees with them even a little bit is probably an asset, a plant, an agent provocateur. Like it's a very common dynamic in what, what those folks would call the, the truth community. Yeah, but if you look at the, if you look at the, the history um, of Cointelpro mm-hmm. and interventions, they're always on left wing and or, you know, kind of minority led movements like there, there yes. has not been any records of, of them doing that on the right. So it's it's always funny when you see a, a right wing conspiracy um, theorizer thinking that these alphabet agencies are, are out to get them. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, isn't it, that they've developed such a strong sense of persecution without it necessarily being founded by anything. Yeah, you write in your book and this is going to be a, a bit of a long quote, but. Trump's fondness for conspiracy continued apace into his presidency. His Twitter account became a megaphone for every dark suspicion he has about the biased media and the rigged government working against him, even at one particularly low point, going so far as to accuse his political opponents of inflating the number of deaths in Puerto Rico caused by Hurricane Maria. His supporters became consumed by the concept of the, quote, deep state, seized by a conviction that a shadow regime is working hard to undermine the White House. At the same time, Trump brought a raft of conspiracy theorists into his cabinet. Among them was Secretary of Housing and Urban Development Ben Carson, who suggested that President Barack Obama would declare martial law and cancel the 2016 elections to remain in power. There was also National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, who was quickly fired, notorious for retweeting stories linking Hillary Clinton to child sex trafficking. And uh, yeah, just to expound on that, um, and this is, uh, you know, my note, um, he's loved in QAnon circles. Uh, people yes. put the three stars in their profile name and and just in general, he's been you know, photographed and, and, and run in, in QAnon circles a lot. Continuing with the quote, other conspiracy enthusiasts soon occupied positions in such state government offices as the Department of Health and Human Services, 
where a Trump appointee named Shimena Barreto was hired despite her also claiming that Clinton was linked to a pedophile ring and the National Security Council, where a senior aide and former Pentagon former Pentagon official named Rich Higgins sent out a furious lengthy email on the various leftist conspiracies seeking to undermine the president. So, I mean, I have to ask here, is having a cabinet filled with conspiracy theorists unusual in the history of the U.S. government? I think it's a little unusual. Uh, so we can say two things. We can say, first of all, that conspiracy theorizing by presidents isn't totally unheard of. Um, somebody tried to assassinate Andrew Jackson in 1835. Yeah. Um, and he promptly turned around and accused a Whig senator named uh, George Poindexter of, of hiring the guy. Which well, wait, his name is true. actually Poindexter? Yeah, his name was actually Poindexter. Um, <laughs> I mean, the only other presidency I can really think of, and I'm not a historian, but just in my research, that was a, as awash in suspicion as Trump's is, of course, Nixon's presidency. Yes. You know, um, but I, I will say that the the parallel that I sometimes think about is the FBI under J. Edgar Hoover, you know, which was a very paranoid place because Hoover believed that secret Soviet agents were literally everywhere. And he, um, and he, that ran, to, he ran that agency yeah. for half a decade. He did. Yeah. He ran it for a long time. And so he, he actually started to believe that one of the places where secret Soviet agents were was the Truman White House. So he starts leaking what he believes to be damaging information to House Republicans, trying to get them to buy his theory of communist influences in the Trump in the Truman administration, which was eventually what turned into the Cointelpro program. Yeah, was Hoover saying there are so many fucking communists that we need to, you know, form this secret uh, group to disrupt the Communist Party. So it's really it. like he ran it from 1956 to 1971, I believe. So, you know, I would say that the the type of jokers that occupy the Trump administration is a little unusual, but certainly we have seen uh, conspiracy theorists in federal government before. Well, that's uh, just fantastic. Good to know that's been going on for a while. Um, <laughs> I, I wanted to read another passage from your book. The issue then isn't the conspiracy theories themselves, which any healthy societal discourse can absorb. We've done so for generations, treating them as a natural and understandable outgrowth of social upheaval and a very spirited public discussion. The real problem is that an ever more efficient conspiracy information machine has coincided with a very real resurgence in nationalism and white supremacy. We're seeing unholy and shifting alliances of fellow travelers, conspiracy-oriented news sources, white supremacist groups, and so-called alt-right rising stars, generally people who are willing to espouse nationalism and denounce political correctness, but don't like being called Nazis, and they're all feeding into one another. They share tactics, interview one another, signal boost one another on social media, and create a cacophonous, self-reinforcing ecology. The worst corner of this flourishing conspiracy culture amounts to a deeply regressive view of the world. It denounces immigrants as the advance army of some hidden globalist agenda. It calls Black Lives Matters activists liars and Soros-paid actors, while the victims of mass shootings and their grieving families are condemned as fakes. It confidently announces, as happened in July 2018, that liberals are planning to spring a second civil war on the country, attacking unsuspecting conservatives as they sleep. The liberals apparently didn't quite get it together in time to strike, and the much-vaunted war didn't happen. And many of the biggest players are virulently sexist. Alex Jones denounced feminism as a globalist plot. Mike Cernovich, a juice-diet-peddling fitness blogger turned men's rights activist who ultimately morphed into one of the bigger conspiracy peddlers in the country, wrote several blog posts on how to coerce unwilling women into sex. 
He has argued that, quote, date rape doesn't exist and that men are the victims of society-wide smear campaign, quote, every man is under attack, he once wrote. Everyone from school teachers, preachers, and media figures tell men we are garbage, we are privileged, we are sinners, we are potential rapists. Resisting the brainwashing takes an act of will. Mm. The figure uniting these disparate groups, the white supremacists, the sexists, the diehard nationalists, is Donald Trump. He legitimized certain conspiracy theories and theorists in a way that would have been unimaginable before the 2016 election, making, quote, rigged elections and the deep state broad subjects of discussion. And nobody since Nixon has better embodied the concept of projection when it comes to conspiracy theories. So what do you think makes Trump so unique compared to other Republican presidents? I think his willingness to say the quiet part loud, you know, his willingness to try to engage in conspiracy theorizing and other and forms of bigotry openly. You know, like when we talk about uh, sexism, for example, among uh, conspiracy theorists, as we do in that pa uh, passage, you know, uh, part of Donald Trump's defense of people like Brett Kavanaugh was to say that men are literally under attack by societal forces. He tweeted as much. But yeah, overall, I think that Trump uh, is trying very openly to um, identify enemies and get the people to turn against them. We see him doing it every day with his denouncements of the media, of the Democrats, of, you know, anyone who criticizes him. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's very willing to try to do this in a much more blatant way than we see from more sophisticated political actors. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's the amazing thing about Trump is that he, there's little subtext. It's always just text. Yeah. Instead of like, it's instead just of, text. It's just, All caps. <laughs> yeah, right. Red. Yeah. <laughs> instead of hinting about the horrifying things that Hillary Clinton may have done, Trump just says she should be in jail. She should be locked up. Yeah. She, she just says it out loud. These yeah. people are very, very bad. Yes, yeah, the period is sick. Yeah, it's like <laughs> they, they, yeah, they, or like he'll he have, he mentioned Soros by name in a tweet, right? He loves it. Yeah, it's like so he'll he'll, he'll go straight for the the anti-Semitism. It's like it's very yeah. It's like he'll just be explicit, and it's amazing. That's all it took to like rise to the highest levels of power. Just just saying yeah. the, like the awful things that sort of like that were just subtext before. He's pissed <laughs> off at Soros because Soros refused to share bottle service with him in a club in which you get to eat dolphins. Oh wow, that's terrible. What? No, I, I'm <laughs> making that up. That's just I, I imagine what rich people do is yeah, get right. bottle services and, you know, dolphin eating clubs. Right. I'm sure Soros will it's get funny that for a minute. I was like, sure. That sounds right. <laughs> no, that's the thing is we live in fucking hell. So it's like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Eating the dolphins. fabric of reality is tearing. Anything <laughs> could be possible. <laughs> so in your book, you examine how conspiracy theories often line up with the interests of, you know, figures like Donald Trump, organizations like the NRA and just the military-industrial complex in general, you even call some of these kind of more modern conspiracy theories politically useful. Could you explain this? Yeah. So when powerful people like the president or the federal government wield conspiracy theories, they can help to consolidate power, identify a common enemy, and turn the public against sort of a useful boogeyman, right? Um, so in the U.S., for instance, conspiracy theories saying that mass shootings are all staged uh, by a government that wants to seize your guns and put you in FEMA camps are, you know, part of what helps stall momentum against gun reform. Uh, it's sort of like the right. more wild-eyed conspiracy theorizing and the more like sort of steady political action working together. 
Um, one thing I talk about briefly in the book is a much more sort of chilling international example of politically useful conspiracy theories, which is um, a bunch of uh, groups and far-right sites that have called the chemical attacks in Syria into question, um, chemical attacks that were perpetrated by the Assad regime and have killed thousands of civilians, including children. Um, and so one thing we see in a lot of these sites um, are suggestions that the White Helmets, a volunteer civilian emergency search and rescue organization, has actually carried out those chemical attacks. Um, and so the thing that makes these conspiracy theories politically useful is that it allows the Assad regime and the media outlets that back it to create doubt or plausible deni deniability for the Assad regime to be able to deny charges of, of mass murder. You know, so we really see ways that conspiracy theory, conspiracy theorizing muddies the truth in a way that is, as I say, politically useful. So can you tell us about some of the earliest conspiracies that you unearthed in your research? I mean, the the earliest one and the one you get sick of seeing in cons books about conspiracy theorizing is the idea that the emperor Nero was in his summer home fiddling away while Rome burned, you know, while large portions of Rome burned and people died, yeah. um, which is something that's been called into question many, many times, but it's one of the earliest examples that we know about of a citizenry being like, hey, this political figure benefited from this disaster. Maybe this political figure made the disaster happen. Because what we saw after portions of Rome burned is that Nero said, you know who did this? This was the Christians and used, used the burning of Rome as an excuse to persecute and crucify early Christians. He also... Flag. Yeah, it was, was a false flag, the maybe. False flag in the books. <laughs> yeah, he also started rebuild. He started building his uh, pleasure gardens on portions of the burned city, which obviously made people really mad. <laughs> Wait, what are pleasure gardens? This sounds amazing. Uh, you know, Nero, Nero had pleasure gardens. He just, you know, it's a, it's a thing. Personal it's a thing gardens. that, uh, it's a thing that folks had. <laughs> they were, they were not as sexy as they sound. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought he was like were, a gardener of pleasures. <laughs> Sadly, no, it's not. It's not the uh, Caligula pleasure palace. It was uh, a little, a little less uh, sexy than that. <laughs> but he did. Did he play the fiddle or not? So there wasn't a. There were no fiddles at the time. He might have been playing. <laughs> he might have been playing a different instrument. But the first historian yeah. who like promoted this this uh, story was writing years after Nero had died. So, you know, <laughs> um, but one of the earliest American conspiracy theories and one I think is really interesting is the European colonists in the 1600s decided that a lot of the Native Americans attacking their settlements were guided by one giant warrior king. It's what one historian, Jeffrey Pasley, calls the myth of the super chief which I'm really fascinated by, just the idea that the European colonists were like, well, surely these people aren't directing themselves. Surely they're all being controlled by one guy. Yeah, they can't be reacting to, you know, all the awful right. things we've done to them. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. Again, it's uh, a little useful, you know, you can continue your politics, you can continue taking things over. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, there's a super chief, you got to defeat him. Right, exactly. George Soros is our modern super chief. Yeah, something like that. I mean, I could have written an entire book just about George Soros, and I'm glad I didn't. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's the idea that your political opponents are controlled by some larger, well-moneyed entity is pretty popular. Yeah, I mean, if you look at uh, TPUSA, one might mm -hmm. say that, you know, it's warranted. <laughs> yeah. 
there seems to be quite an overlap between the new age movement and the conspiracy theory movement. Like this was kind of news to me, I guess. Uh, you know, it, mm-hmm. it seemed in your description of the 2016 Conscious Life Expo, which you attended, you know, mm-hmm. clearly because you're a masochist. Uh, but but can, you, can you tell us like what what what's up with that and what's up with the mix of these two things? I mean, I've thought about this a lot, and I think the sort of overlap is alternative healing. Mm. So if you stop trusting the government, you're going to stop trusting entities like the FDA, right, or the Environmental Protection Agency, or, you know, anybody else who, any any other branch of the federal government designed to keep you safe, right, which means that you're probably going to stop, stop trusting mainstream medicine. So uh, one thing that you see a lot is, conspiracy theorizing about like alternate and hidden cures for cancer, for instance. Um, and so that sort of combined with like, there's a very strong element of kind of Christian apocalyptic mysticism in conspiracy communities. That's really interesting to me. So yeah, you can see all of these things at conscious life sort of overlapping with each other. It's also the only place where I ever met a flat earther in the wild. Yeah. Uh, which I was very excited to meet him. But uh, <laughs> he was less excited to meet me. Are the conspiracy theorists there bummed out by the new age shit? Are the new age people no. bummed out by the conspiracies? Like ever? You, you didn't see any friction there. I think that the I think that the um, the like division between the two isn't as stark as we're making it out to be. I think a lot of people sort of exist on a spectrum, and I think in general, in what people in that world referred to as the truth community, there's a lot of respect for other people's beliefs, even if you disagree with them, you know, because everybody is united in any distrust for mainstream authority, mainstream media, you know, what the government says. Uh, So yeah, it's, uh, it's really, really interesting. And it's also how we got to the place where Alex Jones could make millions of dollars selling supplements, you know, is this kind of overlap between the suspicious people and the people who don't trust in mainstream medicine. Yeah. It's a really, really interesting sort of rich, <laughs> rich world. Yeah. Like one of the uh, people specifically, I think who plays in this intersection, you talk about him some in the book is that David Wilcock. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. What is his deal? It's like, it's like, cause he, what, he's part of this movement called uh, uh, this uh, like disclosure. Is the it's, it's, yeah. basically, it's basically this. It's almost like conspiracism. It's like it's a very hopeful kind of conspiracism, where it's the idea that uh, everything we know about the world is fake is actually much more wonderful and fantastic than we could possibly imagine. And it's going to be revealed yeah. to us momentarily. Yeah, David Wilcock is really really interesting to me. He is both a he's an author he's a filmmaker he's very famous in the world that he's part of um and he is uh he's big on ufo stuff the idea of disclosure which is that someday we're going to learn everything that the government knows about ufos and aliens and life on other planets and when i've heard him speak he also talks a lot about pizzagate he talks a lot about the idea that the you know that the government is full of secret pedophiles and soon they're all going to get arrested. He was talking about mass arrests long before QAnon. Yeah, he, yeah, exactly. He was the def- the weirdly uh, horny defender of FBI anon, right? The one that was like, oh, that was yeah, she's a woman. Mega anon, mega mega anon. I'm sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. Mega anon. The 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 anonymous four or H both maybe it was four chan poster. 
who was, uh, you know, uh, claiming yeah. a conspiracy about Kim.com and, and That's mega right. upload. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Uh, David Wilcock tried to pull a, uh, a sort of a QAnon sort of uh, Baker kind of deal with a different Anon called Meganon. And yeah. He it, picked the wrong horse. He picked the wrong horse. He was like, he was like oh, I really think that Meganon is, might be even more significant than oh. QAnon. And then yeah. Meganon fell off the radar like a couple weeks later. Yeah. He went too niche, dude. Like yeah, you gotta, right. you can't right. accuse like some weirdo like Kim.com. This no one like cares December, about him. It was obvious by then. QAnon was the was the ticket to ride. You know, yeah. I, it's a, it's a shame. Yeah. Um. Okay. So <laughs> one of the weirdest and funniest conspiracy theories that you mentioned in the book is the Egyptian shark attack thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Can you just tell us what the what the hell? <laughs> so in December two thousand ten. Um, there were several shark attacks in Egypt, um, beaches in Egypt in the Sinai Peninsula. And um, somebody appearing on a local Egyptian TV show claimed that a GPS device was found on one of the sharks and that it was an Israeli GPS device. And thus that Mossad was using shark attacks to um, to kill people, to, you know, quell tourism and also just to, you know, engage in part of their reign of terror. Is is the short version? Fucking amazing. I mean, okay. So, are if if you were to guess, are they controlling the sharks or just tracking a large group of sharks they've released? So, my memory, without checking again, is that somebody at some point said that the sharks were being controlled by like remote control. Yeah. Um, and I would have to check. And I believe this is not the first time that, or the last time that the Israeli government was accused of u- using like animals. Um, to, to attack their enemies. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. There was a, there was a 2008 story in a Palestinian publication that accused Israel of sending, uh, supernatural rats (laughs) to, uh, the Arab quarter, um, Uh, you know, to terrorize the Palestinian population there. So it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's really, really interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know quite how the animals got into it, but the sharks were definitely my favorite. That's amazing. I mean, I don't think I've. Yeah. Okay. Remote control. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. Sharks. Why not? Sharks. Why yeah. not? Mossad. As you say, we live in hell. Why not? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> why not? They have like multiple swimming pools in like some hidden building where they're training sharks. Yes. Okay. Th- thank you. I mean, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, people can follow. <laughs> I it. Of course, it's been such a pleasure. People can follow you on Twitter at Anna. Merlin, which is spelled M-E-R-L-A-N. They can also buy your book, Republic of Lies, which is currently available for pre-purchase and is coming out on April 16th. So not too long now. Yeah. Not too long. Finally. I'm very excited. It's it's like a great combination of like real on-the-ground reporting and sort of a survey of like the cultural landscape and the academic literature on conspiracy theorizing is like a 360 degree sort of portrait of a very complex and difficult topic. So it's very excellent. I recommend it. Well, thank you for reading it. It's like you and my mom. So, you know, (laughs) I really appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Anna. Thanks for having me. This has been the QAnon Anonymous podcast. Our goal is to become a self-sustaining indie media platform. That won't happen unless we're able to put together the equivalent of a couple of salaries. You can help us by going to patreon.com slash anonymous and subscribing for $5 a month. You won't just be supporting us, though. You'll also get access to more than a dozen premium episodes, plus a new one every single week. Listener, until next week, may the deep dish bless you and keep you. <laughs>